And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast on a Friday morning. And boy, oh boy, am I glad that I waited until Friday morning to record this episode instead of doing it on Thursday. Because had I done it on Thursday, I would have missed the first holy Victor Wembenyama game of this life, this season, this era. 38 points on 15 of 26 shooting, 3 of 6 from 3, every crunch time jump shot, basket, 5 implausible, kind of backwards lob, tip-in things that made me jump out of my seat. The San Antonio Spurs go into Phoenix, win again. They're 3-2. and two. Phoenix is 2-3. and three. We still haven't seen Bradley Beal. Steve Jones, co-host of the Dunker Spot. I don't really know where to, I mean, where to begin on this one. That one, that was a, that was a thing, man. Holy cow, 38 points. Where do you want to start with Mr. Wembenyama? Because this is where we got to start today. Uh, I think with Victor, it's just the moment. And he took that moment against Phoenix. That was the most impressive part to me because the Spurs were up. The Spurs were up big. As you stated, they had already beat the Suns. Here comes Kevin Durant and Devin Booker storming back. And Wimby looks him dead in the face and says, nope, not today. And I think his moxie and his confidence stands out. And for me, it goes back to like the last minute of the first half. When you put it back in context, they run horns. He gets a high-low catch in the post. Somehow gets a fadeaway despite two defenders coming to swarm on him, one of them being Kevin Durant. Then he responds with a pick-and-pop three. And, oh, no one's guarding me in transition. Let me pull up three. And that's where it's like, oh, this is different. The walk, the it, walk up, just like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. I'm seven four. <laughs> I don't even see you in front of me. And and that's where it's like, okay, it's not just the fact that he's tall, he can handle the ball. He's also got some juice behind this. And you saw that on display in that fourth quarter when whatever shot he wanted to get, he went and took it. Like the the biggest sequence to me is when he got a rebound, pushed it himself, called for a ball screen, swung it after a switch, and immediately went to go cut for a lob. And I'm sitting back like, what do you do with this? And this isn't even the best version of this. This is just going to get better. The what do you do with this? So like the scripted plays that get him lobs, like they opened the second half, I think, with like a back screen that got him a lob. That's cool. Like that'll work now and then. The lobs he'll get in transition or in sort of random breakdown situations, that's cool. That'll happen now and then. The ones that that scare me for the rest of the league are the ones that come kind of in the flow of the offense when he just makes a read, a smart read, and realizes, okay, I can. this is the time to get to them. So there was one staggered screen in the second half where I think they switched Grayson Allen onto him. And he was, I think he was the second screener, and he realized the switch was coming and just slipped hard out of the play. And they just throw the ball up to him. He doesn't have to be looking at the basket. He just he just gets it. Sometimes he's literally backwards and just kind of looks over his head like he's I don't even know like what the metaphor would be and just tips it in. And then there was another one where he comes to, to talk about what are you going to do with this? What are you supposed to do? He runs a five-one pick and roll with Malachi Branham, and they switch. And instead of forcing it against whatever smaller guy was guarding him, he kicks it right to Malachi Branham up top. And then he fakes like he's going to go get a handoff. And I think it was Grayson Allen bit, backdoor, lob, midair, catch and finish over help. And it's like, 
what he's seven four. Like he he can reach up and hit the damn near the top of the backboard, and he's making these smart reads in the flow, and they're just throwing the ball, just throwing the ball. Like I I compared the Spurs in my column today. Like they're starting this lineup with Sohan that has no spacing, and like Sohan was actually solid last night. Devin Vassell didn't even play the second half, and there's no spacing. And I compared it to like their offense to like congested city planning where if there's no space on the ground you just build up into the sky and like that's that's what they're doing and and the last thing before i let you go i mentioned the sohan lineup i looked this up today and i've checked it nine times now because i'm like this can't be true because they're the spurs are plus they're minus a lot for the season because they got blown by, out by the clippers by 40 in small sample size is still in effect they're plus 13 with Wembenyama on the floor, mostly because their defense has been ridiculous, and obviously he's as advertised and more on that end. With Trey Jones and Wembenyama on the floor, this is a real stat, Steve. In 75 minutes, the Spurs are plus 56 with those two guys <laughs> on the floor. Like, that doesn't even make sense. What else should, what else should we talk? I mean, I don't even... What else do you want to talk about? Defense? The, the arms? What should we... This is... That was crazy time last night, man. It's it's fun to finally have that moment where now, even if you were uh, someone who was a skeptic, it, there's not much you can say because it's on full display. I wanted to add on to your point about how he gets things out of the flow and how I kind of like how the Spurs have built this around, hey, you can do a lot of things. Just go do them. Like We'll use you in so many different ways. Go play. If we need to design a set, we'll design one out of a timeout. But outside of that, Let's embrace what you do. I know the point Sohan lineup is going to get like some eyebrow raises. I think it's mostly for defensive purposes. And it's fun. Like, it's, why not? Let's see. Let's like, what are we playing for this year? Let's, let's see what happens. But the other part is Sohan just goes and does stuff. And like, that's, that's part of it. You probably like a few quicker decisions, but he's going to go do things like that. I think there was one play where Wimby caught it face up, spin move, a double came and he's very tall. So he was like, fine, Jeremy, here you can have the ball since you're right next to me. He like and drops then... it like a water balloon. He's <laughs> yeah. so tall. It's like a, a straight up and down pass. Just like, boop. And then that leads into Jeremy Sohan being like, cool, dribble, dribble, drive, finish. And I'm like, ah, I see what they're trying to do. Um, but the, my thing with the defense is mainly trying to wrap my head around some of these rotations he's able to make. To where it's a pick and roll and he's defending the strong side corner and he can just go get the block at the rim. I'm like, that's not actually how that's supposed to work. Like sometimes he gets burned and he overhelps and overcommits. But the things he can do to just chew up space and take away areas of the floor and how offenses are trying to respond to his presence, that's been fun to watch. He's he's loud defensively. Well, I, I've already said, like I made the joke last week, like he's gonna lead the league. I'm making up this category. He's going to lead the league in uh, uh-oh, uh-ohs, like uh-ohs, where a guy goes up to shoot, like mid-air uh-ohs too, like mid-air, like, oh, I'm just shooting. Oh, my God, I'm not going to – someone help come save me. Even Durant on one of the sequences of the game last night, Durant caught an open right-wing catch, rose up to – like didn't rise up, like started his shooting motion. Victor was closing out on him, and even KD was like, oh, this isn't going to work, and drove it. And I think Trey Jones came down and stripped him. Might have been a foul. And that's when Victor got the big dunk going the other way. But even Durant, who's seven feet, you see these little moments as the as the ball sort of pings around. And they're like, Victor's here. Victor's here. Victor's here. I can't shoot. You can shoot. Here, hot potato here. Even KD had a moment of like, oh, this 
this is this is not like this guy's gonna block this shot if I take it. Yeah, I just I, I don't know what you do with that. And I think probably you gotta try and find a way to get a shooter on him and hope that he's gonna overhelp on a drive and you can make them pay that way. Um but it's it, the hesitation from teams has been interesting. But I just like that San Antonio said, hey, you don't always have to play the five. We, we like you roaming. We like you impacting our defense that way. And I thought they've, they've done a great job of rotating and giving effort defensively. Hasn't always gotten the result. But if Coach Popovich is happier with the defense, that's usually a good thing for the Spurs. Um, you mentioned the, that they're not playing it much at center, which is true. I actually, one of my favorite early Spurs thing is is that at, for five or six minutes a game, they will do that. It's not like they have not had this hard and fast, like, oh, we're protecting him. We're not going to play him center. They'll just unleash that randomly in the middle of the game. And just like literally the very first possession they did it in their first game of the season, he caught a lob dunk screening and diving with no other center clogging up the lane. Last night, it might have been the first possession again, pick and roll. They kind of blitz whoever had the ball. He catches in the short roll and just instantly downloads Bassey in the dunker spot, Trey Jones in the strong side corner, looks at Bassey, freezes the defense, no look to Trey Jones. Like that's a some big guys when they catch it there, they can only make the pass that's like in front of their face. And that's fine. Like those are that's if they can make it quick, that's fine. But there'll be a shooter over here that they just don't register because they haven't mapped the floor like that. He had like he had it mapped. The pa- the passing, he's a pretty good passer already. This is just, I mean, we were all excited last night. Is, I, I, it's it was like I'm just sitting there watching the game. Like, this is, there's no hyperbole. There's no. This is crazy what this guy's doing. <laughs> it's it's very fun to watch and like. I, I can't get over like the fact that he just wanted, hey, let's run these cross screens for me so I can shoot. I got this. I'll, I'll bring it home. And when he jumps, when he catches it, like he's not even open, and then he jumps, and again, it's it's going into the sky. Like he is open. You, he's open and he's shooting down almost. And like I'm, I just it was it was fantastic to watch. And the Spurs generally had a just a. Devin Vassell was flying in the open floor. They they played well overall. It wasn't just him. Zach Collins, what a nice comeback story. Um, yes. A few too many threes for my taste, but he made them last night. But he's he's kind of like just mashing people inside sometimes. It's a nice comeback story for him. I agree. What do you think of Phoenix so far? It's uneven. Obviously, I don't think they have the results they want. I think this is probably a positive stretch for them, having to have figured some things out without Devin Booker and Bradley Beal. Mainly just, okay, who was going to be the fifth person? Oh, that's right. We have multiple options. So we've seen good stretches from Grayson Allen, some Eric Gordon play. Um, Kata Bates-Diop had a good game against the Suns. So I think I was, I was waiting for that for, KB, <laughs> for KBD to crack the rotation because I think they're going to need him. The, uh, yes, but I, I think it's, it's kind of fun to see Phoenix. One of the questions we had even before they made the big deal for Beal was who's going to be that fifth person, and they kind of have some more optionality with that. I think offensively, I want to see how they kind of build the boat movement-wise. The pace is, feels good. The tempo feels fine. There are those moments where Durant or Booker is walk, working off screen, and now they're a pressure point. You defend that, and then they flow to the other person. But they're really interchangeable, so I think they'll be okay. It's more, okay, now can you build on that? I've liked what Nurk has done for the most part 
he still has the stretches where the defense kind of stops for a couple possessions and then the short roll decision making kind of stops for a couple possessions and so my thing is like okay you do have drew eubanks but how much drew eubanks do you need Eno- uh, enough to enough to tamper and lose a second round pick <laughs> drew eubanks drew eubanks should should like make a t-shirt that says like they tampered for me like he he should claim that as a badge of honor for the rest of his life P- like not everyone gets tampered for drew eubanks man backup center not a lot of people even heard of him tampered I, I need the secret files of who decided to report that. That's the biggest. <laughs> that you know, it's funny when that news broke. I was sitting with Brian Windhorst in uh, in our in some conference room, and he was like, first question he had me. Windy is so smart about like seeing the next angle. He's like, I want to know who turned him in. I'm like, when then we started spitballing off the record <laughs> theories about. The, so, whoever was so furious that Drew Eubanks was taken off the market so fast. Anyway, you were t- talking about Nurk, who I thought had a bad game last night, obviously got benched late. And I was worried about, although I understood that the Aiton bridge had been burned and and the rubble was on the ground, I, I was worried about that angle of the Dame trade for Phoenix because I just think on talent, Dom and Aiton is better than Yusuf Nurkic, as ridiculous as the dominating nickname is. I understand the the fit wasn't what they wanted. Uh, the person that just, it just wasn't working, but you know, Nurk is, is averaging nine a game. It's fine. You, you don't need points for him, but he's shooting 56% at the rim and 50% on twos. And like, that's been Nurk's thing. His whole career he just does not finish enough of these shots. And defensively, it just had, it's been a little up and down. Like you said, like I just, it just hasn't been great. Um, I, I'm withholding all judgment until we see Beal, Booker, and KD because Book looks incredible. K, KD looks good. Um, and you saw last night, you talked about trying to have force Wemby to guard a shooter. We briefly saw Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon, Booker, Durant, and Eubanks, I think. Then we saw Durant at center, but we saw four guys who are dangerous three-point shooters and a center, and that's kind of the look everyone is is trying to find in Phoenix. And it, maybe it's Eric Gordon, the big three, and Nurkic. And the qu- the question is going to be, does that hold up defensively? But offensively, we just haven't seen the real team yet. Yeah, and that's, that's where I want to see how they look when they're all together. Because I think they can really come in waves and keep pressure on defenses, especially if Devin Booker is not only going to be scoring like this, but reading the floor the way oh, he the is. Pa- the, the passes are like laser beams, like whew, out of his hands early. Even a simple one, like he turned the corner on a pick and roll uh, at the top of the arc. KD was on the strong side wing, right wing, like a, not a place where you help off of. And somebody, whoever was guarding him, I think it was Vassell. And it wasn't Vassell, it was somebody else. Just took like a little, just a little half slide toward Book, and just immediately he kicked it to KD because that's enough space for KD. Like you take a half slide, he's seven feet tall. You're not Wembenyama. You're shooting it, and just like the 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 speed with which Book is making these decisions is is really encouraging. Yeah, he's operating in space. He's reading the defense. He's not even predetermining, but he's bending the defense based on I know exactly what you're going to do. And now I'm going to make the right read out of it. And if I don't make the right read, I can still score. And that's such a big boost, especially once you consider they're going to get Bradley Beal back. They're going to get KD back. You can stagger with the bench units. I just think Phoenix, they have we have not seen the best from Phoenix yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, 
I'm going to withhold. I mean, like early in the season, you do want to get it. The, the fun of the early season is sort of deciding what you should actually be worried about and, or what's actually real and what, like, like I think the Mavericks, for instance, just to bounce around, they're four and oh, they've played an easy schedule. It's, it's tempting to kind of dismiss like, Oh, who cares? Well, I, I don't know about you. This was going to be in my random rapid fire section, but let's just do it now. When I've watched the Mavericks, Kyrie's missed two of their four games. They played Denver tonight, so that's their first big test. Something feels solid there. Like I'm I'm not just writing off the four and zero start as okay, they beat a bunch of cupcakes. Like something structurally feels right about their team. Like Luca's in shape. He's actually kind of trying on defense. Grant Williams has been really good. I don't really love this Derek Jones Jr. starting thing. I, I think Josh Green should probably be their fifth starter. Maybe they'll get there. Maybe they won't. The lively kid is, is, I mean, he'll, the rookie, the rookie, you know, ups and downs are coming, but I don't know. Like I'm watching them carefully because something just, some, you just know when you see it, something, I'm not saying they're a title contender or anything, but I had them around like 43, 44 wins, really trying hard to get the sixth seed, could finish ninth, whatever. They might be a level better than that. One of the reasons I held my Dallas stock going into this season was because there was an effort to find pieces that fit what they want to do. So they had that run. They had that success. They lost Jalen Brunson. They tried to recapture what they had, couldn't get it, added Kyrie, couldn't find it defensively or offensively. But you have Grant Williams and Derrick Jones. Those are guys who, hey, you guys do defense. If you need a roll, you can roll. If you can space, you can space. If you need to drive a closeout, drive a closeout. Derek Lively, you are going to roll. We have not had a roller with Luka like this in what, forever? So you can see by Luka's joy by playing with Derek Lively, that's a plus for them. And then all the bench guys kind of just slot into what they do. So Jaden Hardy, coming and score. Seth Curry, coming and score. Tim Hardaway Jr., I know you would like to start, but hey, here's this second unit opportunity. We have minutes for you. You can also score. So I just think there's like a functionality. And behind the way that Luka's playing, that absolutely helps, considering what he can do to defenses as far as whatever scheme you want to do. I can figure that out. We can mix in some post-ups. I just like that. I'm still concerned about the defense overall, and I'd like to see how they, whenever Kyrie comes back, if they can keep using them in a better way. But the way they're spacing the floor for Luka, clearing out wings, the way he's operating in pick and roll, that's hard to deal with. Everyone else knows their role and their function, and they've got buy-in. So I think that's where Dallas is kind of elevating early. The buy-in jumps off the screen. Like the the team is 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 playing hard and with a like you said like a joy and a spirit and even a pace like Luca's not just walking the ball up the court he's throwing hit aheads he's he's playing at a faster pace which the Mavericks want um, and he's I mean like there's just the guy's a complete genius as a ball handler and a pick and roll guy. There was one thing you said as as you were bouncing around talking about what's serious and what's not to start this year. I'm having a tough time because it feels like the league is very, very competitive right now. And I can't necessarily get a feel on some teams sometimes. Like Minnesota goes ahead and blows an entire lead against the Hawks and then comes back and beats Denver, who had just been beating everyone. And I'm like, huh, (laughs) what do you say? Have you felt like there's the league's been more competitive this season? And, and, you know, we've already had guys like in and out of the lineup, like, like the Heat are one and four, and they look 
like they're just playing in molasses. They look like they did before they eked out the second play-in game and then all of a sudden made the freaking finals. Like, but Jimmy's missed a game. Bam's missed a game. Jimmy's like kind of averaging like 16 a game and shooting 36%. And just they just look, they haven't had Caleb Martin, Kevin Love missed a game. It's just hard to know. But yeah, the league is like, like Detroit for a hot second was was two and one, and now they're two and four. But Jalen Duran has been awesome, and Cade has been pretty good, and um, you know every almost everybody in the West is is trying to win, and you know, uh, and if the Spurs are actually decent, like the whole conference is is pretty freaking good. Yeah, but Minnesota, I'm just, <laughs> I was high on them coming into the season. I thought they looked horrible through three games, horrible. The cat go bear thing just was isn't isn't hasn't been working offensively for the most part. McDaniel's missed, I think, the first three. So I just again just kind of wrote it. Just like I'll I'll and then they blow the doors off Denver. And I don't know that there's any team in the you know how the Bulls, who are just unwatchable again, but the Bulls like they find these little small sample sizes to cling to as proof of concept. Like, hey, we were 14 and 9 with Patrick Beverly. Okay, hang the banner like he's not on your team anymore. Like, like they just always have these like, oh, but like, see, it it, it kind of works. The Wolves are like that with Denver. Like, that's awesome. You play Denver really well. You need to win like forty eight games. You only play them three like four times. So you need to be better against all the others. Like, it's great, great that you proved some toughness and metal in that playoff series. You beat them again. It's a tough matchup. Oh my God. We have this way of guarding Jokic. We guard him with Towns and we have Gobert lurking off Aaron Gordon. That really works. That's awesome. That's four games. Like, can you just be a little more functional in the other 78? <laughs> and my, my thing with Minnesota is it alternates between some days it's the offense that takes a turn that's left and other days the defense that turns left. I would just like some consistency. Let me let me understand what your one flaw is, as opposed to hey, is it ball movement? Is it we can't find a scheme for these two? Is it we can't find an offense for Gobert and Cat? I just I would like that to be a little cleaner. I want to hear your take on the other big story of the week, which is that James Harden was traded from the Philadelphia 76ers to the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers gave up. Three valuable draft assets, one pick and two swaps. The Thunder butted in and, and essentially traded a pick for a swap and got more draft value out of it. The Sixers get four rotation players, if you count Marcus Morris, who was not in the rotation, um, out of the deal, uh, plus those draft assets. I'm just curious, like, we James Harden, first interview yesterday, says um, the Sixers had me on a leash. I don't play in a system. I am the system. That one, that one, all of that was like, if I'm Kawhi Leonard, I'm like, oh, you're, you're a system. That's I'm also kind of a system. <laughs> this other dude, Russ over here, like he's a whole, he's a system that's going haywire all the time and in, in good ways and bad ways. Do you, is this going to work? What do you think of, let's start with James Harden's fit with the Clippers. I like the fit more than most. Uh, it's funny because weren't the Clippers looking for a point guard? I thought that was a certain audience that was saying that. I think his playmaking is going to help. I think he's going to boost their pick and roll attack. I think the context for him offensively with the Clippers is going to be positive. I mean, this is a team that's near the bottom 
of the league and percentage of field goals made that are assisted. I think he will boost that. They're going to have to build the right boat and make this work. But in theory, you think about James Harden, 20 points, 10 assists last year. Only three people were able to do that. Only two of them have done it this year. The same two, Tyrese Halliburton and Trey Young. Adding that to your team is a positive. And I think being able to have a team where you have Kawhi and Paul George for those nights where maybe he doesn't have it and he doesn't have to lean on it as much. So he can be in pick and roll. He can still be a threat spaced one pass away, catch and shoot, stagger with the bench lineup. And I think it just takes stuff off the table for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Because if you think about it with this Clippers team, we've had questions about their movement, but they've been the scorers. They've been used in staggers for movement. They've been the post-up guys. They've been the elbow guys. We also have to score enough to draw help so we can create more plays. So I think the overall having someone else that can generate offense and potentially get teams in rotation is a positive. The thing for me is just how do the touches spread and then where is the movement going to come from? Like if this is just going to be purely your turn, my turn, I don't love it as much. But if if, if you're able to just kind of hit pressure points, because Paul George is playing great to start the season. Unbelievable. Kawhi unbelievable. Leonard is playing great to start the season. So if now you can mix in, hey, Here's Paul George doing his thing. Here's Kawhi doing his thing. Now James Harden pushing transition in pick and roll. If he's able to get downhill and force help, look at who the kickouts are to now. I would probably be concerned if it affects Russ because Russ is in a good place. But what I would say is the fact that the Clippers got Russ into a good place probably helps Harden come into this context as opposed to if Russ was looking for things like he was last year. Would you, would, what would your starting five be? Everyone's healthy. You're Ty Lue. You've you, Russ has been productive and unselfish as a starter for you this season. Lowest usage rate of his career. What's your starting five? I start all four of them with Zubac. Wow. I start all four of them with Zubac. Uh, I, I would Kawhi and Paul George defensively with Russ. I think that's a good defensive context. So if you need Harden to guard a big or a non-shooter, you could probably get away with that. Mixing some switching. But I say let it fly. Let those Let those five play. Let them figure it out. Uh, see what you can do. See how defenses react because you only have so much defensive capital to spend. Someone has to guard Kawhi. Someone has to guard Paul George. Who's guarding James Harden? Whoever guards Russ, does that now make him a screener? Like, I think there's some fun things they can do, but I would let those guys just play and figure it out. Whoever feels left out, you can always stagger them with the bench. We haven't even mentioned P.J. Tucker. And again, I did the trade reaction podcast a few days ago, so I don't want to just belabor that. But <laughs> he's going to be a key role defensively for them. Maybe we'll probably play some small ball five, I would imagine. It's interesting. I I went the other way and said I would try to sell Russ on a bench roll again and start Terrence Mann because mm. um, he's a better shooter. And he is... Russ, to his credit, has set more ball screens finally with the Clippers. I mean, it's not many more, but it's some. Terrence Mann is a practiced, like, screen, dive, playmake guy. He's played that role much more willingly, much more happily, with much more zip. Um, I like, but, but again, like, it just, you do wonder. I, I don't, the four of those guys playing together, I, I, ju- I just got to see it. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just so many guys. It's so many guys, um, and maybe, maybe it is. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's the right move because Russ has done everything you've asked and done it well, and to sort of put that toothpaste back in the tube may be more difficult than I'm thinking from the outside. 
I mean, the, honestly, for me, it's who closes that gets interesting. And does James Harden's presence now reopen the door for Kawhi to be a screener late or for Paul George to be a screener? Do you Has open to. more things up in the late game as opposed to, well, we have these two. We can't really use them together because it's an automatic switch. That's where I'm like, okay, if they can hit those right notes, I think I think people will be pleasantly surprised by how Harden impacts the Clippers in a positive way. So you, you said uh, it is interesting that as you talk yourself into the trade, and I'm not – I'm like lukewarmish on the trade. We'll get to the <laughs> sort of full takeaway. It is a strange dissonance to like think the trade's all right, but one of the ways you talk yourself into it is – about all the ways that all the players together, each one picks up the slack for the others. Like it's a, it's weird to be like this trade really works because when that guy's out, this guy becomes more useful. <laughs> this trade's really good because when that guy has a case of the Hardens in the playoffs, this other guy is a Terminator. Like it's it, it half of the sales pitch is when one of them turns into a zero for some reason, health health wise or whatever else wise the other ones normally you sell a trade by like they fit really well together here's how they'll play together and the other thing you said that you nailed it look i i i I get why they made this trade i'm not gonna laugh at it like bill simmons had a whole big monologue kind of just mocking the clippers and mocking you know harden is a playoff loser and like his playoff track record is what it is it's not good i think the clippers are better today than they were before this trade and, um, but you, you nailed it when you said, even if that's true, if all this turns into is four thirty something dudes playing your turn, my turn basketball, they are not going to be good enough to win three off playoffs, three playoff series in the West. They just won't. And, um, and, and like that all comes down to everything you're saying is like, are they willing to screen for each other? Are they willing to move the ball? Are they willing to take more catch-and-shoot threes? These guys have not been high-volume catch-and-shoot three-point shooters other than Paul George. Um, because the talent is great, and they need his playmaking and all that stuff. But if it's just, I'm the system, <laughs> no matter who you put on me, no matter what the matchups are, no matter if I have Kawhi screening for me or I screen for Kawhi, we're going to get a mismatch or we're going to get the defense in rotation. No, I'm going to play my way. Then you're going to play your way. Then you're going to play your way. That is not going to be Denver. It's not going to beat you know whoever else emerges out of this morass of good teams in the West. But you know they're they're like I'm not just like they're better. They're better than they were, and there is a universe in which this clicks. And if it does click, you can't just judge the whole trade being like, well, they have to win the title. If they don't win the title, it's a failure. I don't think they're going to win the title, even if it clicks and even if they all stay healthy. I just think Denver's too good. Boston looks unbelievable. Other teams in the West are really good. Like, But you, you've you worked for a team. Like, You can come up short of your goal. You could even not – like, they could not make the conference finals. They could lose in the second round. They could lose in the first round. But if the journey suggests to you this is a team with a good spirit that looks like it's playing the right way, that plays hard, you give it an honest shot and you fall short, that's fine. Like The trade can still be fine. I think that's likely what will happen even if they don't play your turn, my turn basketball and they all click together. 
to to me that's okay and like they went they had no chance before this done and they they told you that by doing the trade now they at least have a pathway to if everything clicks and again I don't think I don't think this will be the outcome but like you know we lose to Denver in 6 we play well like we can be okay with that I, that's that's where I am like I don't think this is going to work at the level that they hope and need it to work at that's okay I mean, it's a, it's a tough Western Conference, so you had to you got to make a move to at least keep up with a Golden State team that looks like this, I, a Denver team that is. Playing I didn't even deep. mention Golden State. Golden State looks like they played forty <laughs> games together already, and that starting five has played a million games together. They look really good, and like we don't need to mention all the, all the teams like Zion, Oklahoma City, <laughs> you know, the Lakers, the Kings will be like, what about us? We were third Kings, Kings, yeah, Kings. Everyone's good. <laughs> Actually, can I ask a Laker question? Sure. We do like to talk about the Lakers. How do you feel about Cam Reddish and Christian Wood playing defense? They're they're playing they're playing all right. Like they're I mean, I think both of these guys, this is like last chance saloon time for these guys. Like they gotta they gotta do like the little things. And when the Lakers put Christian Wood on Kevin Durant the other day and he didn't look completely out of it. I was like, oh, all right, Christian Wood. And now he's like closing games, playing more than Hachimura, who's been injured. I think they're doing like it's a little too much Cam Reddish for my taste. Um, I understand Torian Prince was hurt and that's part of it. But what, what do you think? It seems like a leading question. It seems like you're, you're, you're happy with their performance so far. I, I've liked the process from the Lakers. I, I just think back to some of the point we made with Dallas. There, there's a buy-in there. I don't think the shooting has been where it needs to be but they're generating good looks. Austin Reeves probably can play better, but if he doesn't play better, the Lakers are in trouble. I just figured I'd ask that question because it's 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 interesting to see how context changes for different players and Christian Wood being able to find a way to switch on to certain wings and keep them in front. I, I think it's a big positive. Um, Any other Clippers thoughts? I mean, like, like I said, I get why people are making fun of the trade. I've been as hard as anyone on Harden. I, I think... The ball never got back to me after the heat debacle in 2022 is one of the all-time bad quotes in the history of the NBA. I Everything he said yesterday made me nervous from a Clippers perspective. And frankly, like I'm glad that Embiid was like, Embiid came out and was like, on a leash, man, you had the ball all the freaking time. You averaged 21 and 11 or 21 and 12. Like What, what else do you want? Do you, it's not 2018. You're not winning 60 games in two or three playoff series doing playing hard in ball and just isoing and taking and averaging 35 a game. I don't know. What does he think is going to happen now? Um, what did you think of those comments? Well, I think it's more him trying to get a level of acknowledgement for some of the things that he has done as far as sacrificing or evolving his game while also being defiant towards some of the comments that have been made towards him. That's all I took from it. Once I saw the real quote and like all the things he said, I was like, yeah, I get it. I understand. Well, and look, I, I said like I, when I made my all-star rosters last year, he was on it. He was on my 12 man all-star team. He didn't make the actual all-star team. And I think he probably feels like, wait a second. I, I did everything you asked. And all you people now think I'm not one of the 12, 12 best guys in the Eastern conference anymore. Like I did. I had him on my all NBA team until he kind of, missed a bunch of games in the last month of the season 13 but still um we should talk about the Sixers by the way three and one beat Toronto blew out Toronto last night in Philly 
third in offense, eighth in defense. Have played it an easy schedule. Toronto twice, Portland once, and then the, the loss to the Bucks. Maxi looks obviously unbelievable. My favorite Maxi stat of the year is the scoring is amazing. 23 assists to four turnovers, one turnover a game. He's not, there are just no negative plays with him offensively and defensively. He's trying. Um, we haven't seen the new guys there yet, but what has stood out to you about Philly, who looks pretty looks pretty damn good? Like, like for a team that's been going through a whole melodrama that finally ended, they look pretty good. Uh, buying and fit. I think Tyrese Maxey making quick decisions helps them a bunch. Kelly Oubre has fit right in with that team, giving them shooting, giving them scoring. They're working on defense. Not always a perfect world, but the effort's there. Tobias Harris feels better about playing basketball and is looking to attack gaps. As oh, man, in the, to, open, in the open floor, he's flying. He's back to that instead of just spacing and shooting. Uh, I think everyone kind of is slotted in and knows their role. The biggest thing for me, and obviously I think there's more movement in their offense. Uh, there's more dribble handoffs. There's more pace and tempo in the half court. I think that's a positive. It's not necessarily completely leaning on Joel Embiid. Uh, I think the one thing I'm keeping an eye on for with Philly, I think the influx of having more wings with Batum and Covington should help them, especially their lineup versatility come playoff time. I want to keep an eye on the Maxi Embiid pick and roll as he starts to play at a higher level. So for me, they've been setting higher screens for him with Joel Embiid. The thing that I'm wondering about is how do they develop that chemistry as the season goes on? Because Maxi is so much faster than James Harden, as opposed to last year when Harden kind of had, I'm, and, I'm taking and two the, dribbles. And Go by ahead. the way, as an aside, Russell Westbrook is also much faster than James Harden. That's another dissonance <laughs> that the Clippers are going to have to work out, particularly if they go your route and start all four of them. But go ahead, please. The speed, the speed and, and Embiid catching up to that speed. Yeah. So Maxi's so much faster in that. It's not the same one, two dribble. Here it is in the pocket. Maxi will drive past the pocket sometimes. And hard, Embiid's kind of waiting for that pocket pass, or he ends up doing the pop thing where he's standing at the three-point line and everyone says he can't roll. So how does that develop? The other part is because Maxi's playing so well and because there won't be any Harden, how does he take these reps when teams start to get more aggressive with him in pick and roll? And that's one thing I took away from the Toronto game where, okay, we're going to trap you a few times. And this is, this is something every young guard has to face at some point once they hit a certain level. Does he start to learn how to engage the defense, drag the defense out, hit the short roll, make the plays that way? Or is it, I need to get out of traffic, back dribbles, spinning out of it, and now the play kind of stops. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing. I just want to see how he handles that because it's coming. It's deserved because of how well yeah. he's playing. Um. He had a moment last night. I mean, the whole – we'll get to the Embiid fit. And I think Maxi through five games, like he's not James Harden as a playmaker. And, and that patience and that, that little 13-foot jumper isn't there as much for Embiid. But he's been – it's it's not not there either. Like it's there mm -hmm. sometimes. The the Tyrese Maxi transition race car thing is just an just such a fun game within the game. So there was a play last night. I wish I could timestamp it for people. OGN and OB takes a right corner three, a right wing slash corner three. Contested. I think Maxi is maybe the guy who contested it. Either way, Maxi ends up very close to OGN and OB when he catches an outlet pass. OGN and OB misses. 
they're right next to each other. OG Ananobi is actually like two steps ahead of Maxi going back on defense. He turns his head for, I'm talking half a second, to talk to the ref, to complain about. And in that, that is all it takes. And Tyrese Maxi is gone on a runway to a layup. And OG Ananobi does not even know what's hit him. And it's just like that, it's over. To your point, just a thing to monitor, too early to care. Sixers are minus, I think, six or seven per 100 possessions when Maxi plays without Embiid. Those non-Embiid minutes are, are always interesting. Um, and Embiid, the other thing, they're obviously playing much differently under Nick Nurse with Embiid facilitating more handoffs, cuts. Five post-touches per 100 possessions for Embiid, according to Second Spectrum. That was up at 10 last year and at like 15, 16, 17 in the years before that. That's an interesting number. That is a really, really low number for Joel Embiid. And I wonder, I mean, it's, I guess it's, it's just interesting. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just interesting. What do you, when you hear that number and it's like 60% of where it was last year and 35% of where it was two years ago, and much has been made about he's now facilitating from the high post and blah, blah, blah. What do you make of that? Is there such a thing as too much veering away from what initially made him great? I think it's a smart move early because posting and beat is always something you can mix in there. It's always something you can get back to. So let's establish our base. Let's get him at the elbow. Let's get him handing off. Let's get everyone comfortable with this portion of it. If we're in these scenarios where we need to get Joel going, we can always get that in there. We can always post, you know, our spacing, we're good to go. So I think it's more, let's try and make sure the team is good. Then let's just lean on Joel and his talent. I want to go back real quickly to the Clippers because I think you said something very, very smart and and more concise than the way I've said it. I hope um, so. Which is that, <laughs> um, which is that, it's really hard to hide undersized or weak perimeter defenders when you have three guys as good as Harden, Leonard, and George on the floor. Let's leave Russ off to the side. He's a different kind of different kind of player. I think that explains the whole theory of the trade even more than the playmaking which is big i think this 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 kind of trade and phoenix's lineup construction with beal booker and durant is the same it's aimed right at jamal murray and right at michael porter jr because your biggest guy Jokic or whoever you want to say is the big whatever team you're playing is going to guard either zubats or pj tucker who's ever at the center so that that takes him out of the equation now you got to have you got Murray and Porter. One of those guys is going to be on one of those three guys I just said. And Jamal Murray's built himself into a pretty tough, rugged defender, but he's just smaller than those dudes. Michael Porter has really improved off the ball and is a rebounder. Some rim protection here and there. On the ball, he gets toasted by those guys off the bounce. That's the whole that it's aimed at those guys, and that's why your your turn, my turn thing is really, really important because for that theory to become reality, if Michael Porter Jr. is on Kawhi Leonard and, you know, KCP is on James Harden, like, that's got to be a two-man game and not a James Harden, like, let me ISO and call up Zoo 10 seconds later for a pick and roll. Like, that, you nailed it with that point. That's the, that's the theory, I think. I mean, the idea for me in my head is if the Clippers can put you in position to feel uncomfortable... And now you have to either send more help or double. And now the problem for the Clippers has not been what they do when they move the ball 
and get you in rotation. It's just getting you in rotation. And so if the Clippers can find that balance, I, I just think it's going to, I think that's going to be positive for them. Uh, I want to go, unless, do you have any other Sixers points that you want to hit? No, no, I think I, I think I, I think I hit the max point. Other than it would be, it would be great if Kelly Oubre could pass like once. That's all. This is just, like, just pass just one time. Um, <laughs> he has more, uh, he, he has like 10 times more blown kisses than passes this, this season. <laughs> um, what do you mean? The 23.0 assist game against Toronto didn't mean anything? He just, he just <laughs> never, pa- it's an, unbelievable. He never passes. Um, and it's, I guess, I guess as you would say, he knows the assignment. That maybe that's just like, that's his job. Hey, you want uh, me to score? You want me to defend? I'm good. All right. I want to spend the last 15 minutes or so rapid fire, just stuff around the league. I did this with your co-host, Nikias Duncan, last, last Friday. It's, we're four or five games in. It's too early to make big, bold proclamations, but it's also not too early to be like, hey, I noticed this cool thing or this worrisome thing. So rapid fire with Steve Jones. Give me a thing. The Bucks defense. I'm Ooh. keeping an eye on the Ooh. Bucks defense. And it's less that they can't do it. It's more they have to clean this up. And they need to clean it up quick. I think everyone knew once they made the trade, there'd be a trade-off. You know, defensive, offensively, it'd be good. I don't think we knew that their base would be affected. And I, I wonder if it's a combination of new players coming together, new coaching staff, and maybe trying to evolve past just Brooke, you're in a drop. But some of the moments where it's just like, okay, two people are switching, one person's rotating, the next person's not, or uncertainty for Brooke where now he's kind of near the level of the screen, not deep and ready to protect the rim. He's getting beat off the bounce to a degree. He's getting beat late, like you felt his impact. Do Are we switching? Are we not? Like, I just think they need to tighten that up. I don't think they're in the danger zone, but it's got to be tightened up because that can't be part of the program. Like, you're going to have built-in defensive issues. Like, if Malik Beasley is going to be the try-hard defense guy, I get the it. The stopper. The stopper. But if he's going to be a double team, then what have you done? Like, like, what are we? Which, what, are, what are we building this out of? So that's where I'm like, I'm keeping an eye on that because there's just too many breakdowns that they can't. I don't think they can afford that right now, especially if they're playing quicker and trying to up the tempo on the other end. You know, they just keep saying Chris Middleton's fine. Everything's going according to plan. Totally fine. Stop asking us. Don't worry about it. Played 14 minutes last night. Totally part of the plan. Missed it. Skipped the back-to-back game. Totally part of the plan. Stop asking. I'm like, okay, I won't ask anymore. I'll take you at your word. I kind of just, I, like, they need him so badly and and so badly to be really good because the drop-off from him to their next best supporting perimeter player is just a chasm. And they just, we just haven't seen that yet. So I'm, I'm going to, again, just sort of withhold judgment. I'm glad you brought up the defense, though, because I want to talk about their offense. But their defense... The point of attack defense we knew was going to take a hit. That's what you're saying, and it has. I don't. I haven't dug into why this is. I just saw the number today. They are dead last in transition defense, both in the frequency with which they're allowing transition chances and the points per possession they're allowing on them. I haven't figured out really why that is. Maybe they've just gotten unlucky with turnovers, but it's also off re- same thing off rebounds. It's not just off turnovers. Have you noticed anything? I haven't. I haven't dug into that. For me, it's kind of felt like shot selection to a degree. 
there's some of these moments where they take quick ones, not necessarily bad, but they're just quick and they're just not engineered to get back right now for whatever reason. And so it's just quick shot, miss, other team layup. It just happens. I feel like it happens in bunches. That's been like my gut feeling. I mean, and if you're spacing Brooke Lopez to the corner more, your biggest guy who's not fast is going to have a long way to go to get back in transition. Um, just something to monitor. I, you know, the stat for me is in four games, Lillard and Giannis have run 29 pick and rolls together with Dame as the ball handler and Giannis as the screener. That's seven a game. That is like shockingly low. <laughs> I mean, Dame ran regularly 30 plus in games with Yusuf in one game with Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Freedom. I, I don't really understand why Adrian Griffin is not doing this more, why the Bucks aren't doing this more. There is some merit, I think, to like, all right, we know that thing is, we know that thing. That thing's going to work really well. Let's try some other things. Um, That's cool. That number is just really, really low. I don't know what, if you've noticed that, if, if someone who's worked, as someone who's worked in a team and been in these meetings might have an answer that I don't understand. But like the headline of the trade not just in media, but even in the Bucks talking about it is, well, now we have a two-man game that can rival Murray and Jokic. We have, this could be the deadliest two-man game in the league. It's, it's like barely exists. Uh, I, you point to the pick and rolls. I'm a little disappointed we haven't seen some of the elbow action, more danger screening for Giannis in general. Saw it in, in the preseason a little bit and less in the real games. Yeah, like a, a couple times they'll just sprinkle in, catch on the wing, a little wedge action, Dame gets Giannis into the post, but then that's it. And it's like, I feel like they're just leaving things on the table, which is part of the problem. And it's like, use that as your pressure point. Even if you don't want to just spam those two in pick and roll, use them together. Teams are going to react, and now you should be able to get easier looks as opposed to just kind of floating through it a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I would like to see more Dame and Brooke pick and roll too. I just... It feels like there's more they can do and they haven't hit the buttons yet. We've seen that, and and there was a, there have been a couple of plays where Giannis doesn't seem to know, like, all right, what am I doing around this Dame Brook Lopez pick and roll? If I'm up in the slot, like, I'm a cutter, I'm dangerous, that's cool. Sometimes he's just been floating around kind of the middle of the paint, getting in the way. Uh, I don't – it's not been a good start for them, but it's, it's whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> I, I will say, like, the Giannis quick shots when he doesn't have a mismatch – are they've never been great when Damian Lillard's around. I'm like, can we get can, just like, can we do the thing that we made the whole trade for? Like, can we do more of that thing? There was like, there was a play and there was even a play I was watching them. I can't remember which game it was. I think it was the Atlanta game where my, my beloved Atlanta Hawks <laughs> blew the doors off Milwaukee where Dame brought the ball up and he, Giannis was right there to set a screen and he kicked it to Malik Beasley and Malik Beasley could have just kicked it right back and be like, no, let's do that thing. And he was, and Malik Beasley was like, you know what? I'm going to run a Malik Beasley, Brooke Lopez pick and roll <laughs> while Giannis just stands around at the top of the arc being not, not being guarded. I'm like, what are we, what's happening here? Give me another thing, Steve Jones. Boston spacing and their offense in general. I, I think, I think those five fit like a glove right now. Every time I watch them, someone's catching at the elbow and, Everyone is spaced behind the three-point line, and all of their defenders are much closer to them than the paint, and that stands out to me. And I think Jason Tatum's drives 
have been fantastic. I think he's reading more in pick and roll as far as, okay, I'm going to take a dribble. I'm going to make this skip pass. Even if the help hasn't even come in, I'm going to make it. Derek White's playing at a high level. Porzingis, because of the fact that you have to guard everyone else, you can't necessarily make Porzingis an automatic switch, and now he can roll. And if Porzingis is a roller with that lineup, I think that's fun. And when teams do switch, he's just rolling, getting a catch, making a quick decision. I I just... They're playing really well. And I think I think that's flying not flying under the radar, but they are humming right now. Well, it's it's flying under the radar only because at the Knicks was kind of a a raggedy, gritty win for them. Um Miami has underwhelmed and you know, it was a it, they they that game was tied in the fourth quarter. And then the last two, Washington blowout, Pacers without Halliburton blowout. I, I think everyone's – they have a couple of good games coming up, including at Philly, at Minnesota this this week. But, yeah, I mean, they look – they were my pick to win the title. Uh, my finals pick was Boston over Denver. Um, and they – my thing with Boston, you, the spacing, all that stuff is is absolutely on point. Porzingis is in the, just the perfect role. Fourth guy, just take a lot, be tall and shoot and protect the rim. The litmus test with Boston is always going to be the combination of passing and rim pressure. Like the spacing is cool. It's just got to lead somewhere that's not a three-pointer all the time. Like the whole point of five-out spacing is let's get to the basket. Like there's nobody there. And when they're on point, they do that more. When they just sort of, that was always the thing with their crunch time offense. It's like they just didn't have a plan. They're just like pass, pass, pass. All of a sudden, someone's got to shoot. But yeah, so far, the they this these guys had a vision for when they acquired Porzingis, and then they had, got Drew Holiday too. The, it looks like they thought it would look. Any other things? Uh, I'm keeping the Pelicans. If CJ McCollum's going to play this way with Zion Williamson playing this way and Herb Jones plays defense like the way he's been playing defense this season, I just think there's some noise to be made from them. Herb I, Jones I, sniffed around to a vague whiff, a vague <laughs> whiff of a five by five game last night. I don't think we've had a five by five game since Nick Batum did it like 13 years ago. <laughs> 21, I think he had 21 and 9 and then 3 assists, 3 steals, 4 blocks. That I know 3 is not that close to 5, but it's 6 like 5 by 5 even a whiff of it is rare. 5 by 5. If I ever saw a 5 by 5 game in person, I would keep the box score. That's a it's a great <laughs> there, there there have not been very many of those. There've been like it's it's rarer than a no-hitter in baseball, I think. I, it it's very hard to do. But I, I just I, I love the fact that Herb is going nuts and blocking shots and being a menace. It's fun. And I'm excited for the in-season tournament. That was my biggest Oh, thought. we forgot to talk about that. In-season tournament. You are excited. I am. Sell the people. Sell the people. Because you know that there's a whole lot of like, what is this thing? It's a gimmick. The courts are weird colors. Nobody <laughs> cares. First off, I like the fact that they made these unique courts which makes those city edition uniforms make a lot more sense. Folks, these games are going to happen anyways. Just remember that. If you get eliminated, guess what happens? More regular season games for you. So life will move on. The biggest key, you're going to get some better matchups. It's only two days a week, I believe. And the key is the elimination games. That's all that really needs to hit. And I think as 
things boost up. You get immersed with the standings. You see you might be eliminated or you might have a chance. Get closer and closer to host, uh, quote unquote Vegas. Vegas is going to sound better to some of these players than like at Oklahoma City or at Utah. You know, just, just I, I all just, sorts of shade being thrown at two of our smaller markets. Hey, yeah, you're right. My bad. No, <laughs> I should look, I should I should just gone in my hometown. The players um, are going to prefer Las Vegas, Nevada to those places. I, I just think it's going to be a lot more fun than people think. Like, I don't think it has to be any deeper than that. You're going to get a really good game that you didn't expect to get in the middle of the season when two teams are playing well and playing hot. And it, it won't pop as much. But just just let it let it be. Let it flow. Let it happen. Let it happen. So producer Dan just dug into the five by five history. Love it. 21 times ever. Most recently, according to producer Dan, Yusuf Nurkic with a five, Yusuf Nurkic, five assists, five steals, five blocks in one game in 2019. <laughs> that feels like something I should know. Right. And the, best, <laughs> the best stat that Dan has dug up is that of the 21 games, five by five games, for people who don't know, it's five points, five rebounds, five steals, five assists, five blocks. Hakeem Olajuwon has six of the 21. You know, who was I talking to? Talking to somebody with the Suns or somebody in Durant's camp. I can't remember who. When he passed Akeem Olajuwon in scoring last week, I kind of wanted to talk about that a little more. That's a huge... I mean, I'm of the age. I'm 46. I was in high school when the Rockets won back-to-back titles. And there was just nothing you could do with Akeem Olajuwon. Like, like he totally humiliated David Robinson in the 1995 playoffs is like an MVP vengeance tour outplayed Shaq. And it wasn't close. And like the combination of finesse power, um, defense passing. St- I mean, he's the King of the, st- the stock, the steals and blocks. That's his, like, he, I, you just don't, you hear his name in the context of like, Oh, Giannis went to like post-up school with Hakeem Olajuwon. That's cool. Um, that dude was an absolute monster, and I thought we should have paused. I, you know what? I, I think I said it d- during a break on NBA Today. It's like I think I, f- I kind of want to talk about Akeem Olajuwon. It's a huge deal. You remember Akeem? Like, like it's not that long ago. That dude was a monster. Yes, and I hope he, I hope that doesn't get lost. Like, I hope he doesn't just get reduced to post footwork and the dream shake because he was a special, special player that. Cause nightmares on both ends for a whole lot of whole lot of people for a whole era. How did we talk about? Oh, five by five games. What, what, what were you talking about when we gave the when I did the five by five games? You were talking the in season about, tournament. Oh, in season tournament. Yes. No harm, no foul. What's what's what is the harm in this? They're all games that are going to happen. The courts look weird. Cool. Maybe I'm excited to see how they look. And my biggest obstacle is. I can't remember and we'll never remember who's in whose group. Like, it's just impossible. Like, can you, could you name a group right now? Could you name a five team group right now? I'll pay you $500. If you can recite the correct names of a group, uh, you can go ahead and keep that 500 in your pocket. Cause I cannot. <laughs> Sorry. I, Lee. I don't even know if I can name three. If you said name any three teams that are in the same group, I don't think I could do it. That's my biggest obstacle. Now maybe that will change. I I think the elimination games are are going to be great. To me, the litmus test will be. So I think they be, there's four group games, right? Everyone plays each other, so that's mm-hmm. there's five teams in a group or whatever. 
um, like the litmus test is going to be like, oh, Charlotte's two and zero. Like, is this going to be a thing we're talking about going into game three? Like, Charlotte's got a shot here to win this group. That's going to be the fun part. When we start to see the standings and we get to the third and fourth games, and it's like random team. Portland is somehow 3-0. and Like, is Scoot going for it? Like, that's going to be the fun part, I think. I think the West will be a lot of fun because only so many teams are going to make it. Like, there's a group. I looked it up. Sacramento, Golden State, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, San Antonio. It's gonna get. It's gonna be fun. I think I'm gonna need the standings, as you said, because I can't remember the groups to save my life. But I think as it progresses, and hey, we need to win this game. I think things. These guys are competitive. Like it, it's. It'll be easy to immerse yourself once you see the standings and once you see what matters in the courts. I think it's gonna pop a lot more than people think. Some people are calling that the group of death. Not me. Some people, the seven people who remember who's in what group, are calling that. <laughs> The group of death. Last question, um, a team that's close to your heart. What should we be saying about the Memphis Grizzlies who are 0-5 without a million players? Ooh, well. I mean, they still have Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Marcus Smart. It's it, They're not totally bereft of high-level NBA talent. The, the problem is it looks like they took a time machine and went full grit and grind for a little bit there. I, I I was I was hopeful that they would be able to find their defense. They would be able to be forced to move the ball and move their bodies. I think losing Steven Adams hurt a lot on both ends of the floor. Not just his defense and his rebounding, but he's a handoff hub. You can create action off of him. And you can tell sometimes, even if it's Xavier Tillman, who has produced for them, it's not the same as far as the next play, the next move. And they have guys who are stepping up, but you need a lot of Zaire Williams right now. And you need a lot of Marcus Smart right now. And you need you just need guys to elevate to a different level. And if the offense is going to struggle and the defense is not going to be where it needs to be to make this work, it just becomes tough. My biggest concern, like I think they're going to be better off for it in the long run, my concern with Memphis is you got to start winning some games to keep to keep touch with these teams because you, the last thing you want to do is get so far back in this Western Conference that, yeah, you got better, but what do you have to show for it? We're about a week away, maybe two, maybe less, from Mem- from the conversation shifting to, wait, is this going to be like a – like a gap year like the Warriors had when they ended up with the Wiseman pick for a team that's actually good? Are they going to just sort of accidentally luck their way into a top five pick to fortify what is becoming quite an expensive veteran nucleus? But Zaire Williams, you mentioned, like, I just need him to do something. Even defensively, like, he's been just... He's had a few give-ups where he just has no physicality to him and people drive right through him. I'm like, you got to give me something. All right, Steve Jones, you got to go. Thanks for bouncing around the NBA with us and talking Wemby Mania and all this stuff. The dunker spot, what are your days per Is it It's set days per week, I feel like, right? Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays and Thursdays, that's right. With Nakaya's Duncan, you're a part of the J.J. Reddick family, the old man and the three family now. You guys are just, if you want to learn what's going on in the NBA games and laugh a little bit along the way, the dunker spot is is a must. Um, it's it's one of my Peloton go-tos. Um, just outstanding analysis by the both of you. I had Nikias on last week. We rounded out with you today. Thank you, Steve, and I'll see you down the road. All right. Thank you. Thank you.